Hello. Oh shit! I guess you're like in my head now. Uh huh. I'm there, Bobby. <laughs> you're there. <laughs> I've, I've always been there. <laughs> I'm just I'm just revealing my presence to you now. I know. I know. <laughs> so yeah. Uh well shit. Here we are. Here we are again. Yeah. Still still quarantined. Week two, week two of the couch podcast in quarantine. Yeah, I, I dare say there's going to be uh, a, at least a few more weeks of this. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, shit. Um, I guess we can at least start it off. I'm I'm Dorian Weinzimmer, and I'm Bobby Navia. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, is episode eighty four of the couch. That's crazy. Eighty four, dude. That's crazy talk. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah, I know. We're we're really we're coming up on on episode hundred and two. That's going to be a big one. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think we'll hit a hundred during the quarantine? God damn. <laughs> I mean, is it just going to be this thing where we record on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we easily could. It's, yeah, <laughs> I don't see why not. I mean, I, I was already thinking about it. I was like, you know, because usually. While you're like setting up, when you come over, we have this time to like kind of chit chat about movies we've watched like during yeah. the past week or whatever. And we haven't really had an opportunity to do that, like a little bit through no. text and shit. But <laughs> I was like, that, I mean, I feel like that's probably going to end up making it into these episodes because like, you know, we're not going to not talk about these things. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but anyway, I uh, on, on that exact topic um i watched yeah watched 1917 earlier this week lay it Uh, on me homie uh i'm really fucking glad i watched that movie (laughs) i was happy to receive your text message about it yeah no man i i was really pretty taken aback by how good it was yeah um you know i was obviously expecting a lot from the cinematography just you know the whole like one shot thing but the more so the fact that it's roger deakins you know behind the lens who is, you know, for people who are unfamiliar, probably the greatest living cinematographer, at least in my opinion. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, his list of credentials is absurd. It's like, I mean, Sicario and Blade Runner 2049, most recently with uh, Denis Villeneuve, which are both, you know, visual masterpieces. Um, uh, This film, uh, 1917, um, he did a number of the Coen Brothers movies, uh, basically from oh, like yeah. Barton Fink through to like No Country for Old Men. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, most of them in there. There were a few like odd ones that that he didn't work on, but you know most of their movies uh, he shot as well. And uh, yeah, he's worked with just uh, so many of the like most talented directors, and every time he just pulls something out that is really really like you can't you think the guy can't get any better at his job you're like well that's probably the best cinematography (laughs) that i've ever seen and then his next movie he somehow like tops it um uh, oh assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford also which is you know visually Mm, mm. just really stunning movie um so yeah that was with andrew dominic he did a couple other movies with sam mendes also (laughs) he did jarhead and um Skyfall, was it? Skyfall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah also just visually really, really shockingly <laughs> uh, well uh, visualized films. But um, yeah, he's he's amazing. And what he did with this movie, you know, kind of taking up the challenge of doing an entire one-shot film and not, uh, you know, not falling into the gimmickry of it. Mm-hmm. And 
also not just copying what Emmanuel Lubezki, one of the other greatest living cinematographers, did in Birdman, um, where they had a similar, you know, one shot approach that was, you know, stitched together. It wasn't it's it's to yeah, to clarify for yeah, any listeners that that aren't aware the the one shot in nineteen seventeen is what's like what's known as like a stitch stitched one shot where it's a lot of stuff that they cut together. It's not a true, uh, what they would call a true one which would actually be like from beginning to end in real time, this whole shot was done, you know? Right. So yeah, this one is like the, you know, they shot a lot of stuff very creatively to be able to stitch together, you know, long takes to create the illusion of making, you know, the entire film be one shot. And, uh, I mean, the effect is really impressive. You know, there's definitely some spots where you can, you know, it's pretty obvious. They look good. They're fine. But it's like, you know, you go behind something and the whole screen goes black and then you come yeah, out yeah, the other yeah. side of it. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, that's a, <laughs> but whatever. It, like, it worked for the, sh- you know, for the scene and everything. And, you mm-hmm. know, the illusion was was created. It was really interesting, actually, on the, um, did you listen to that DGA podcast with all the nominees, uh, Best Director yes. nominees? So when Sam Mendes was talking about, you know, doing this film versus, you know, other movies where he's worked with this, uh, I think Skip Leavesay, uh, this editor, mm-hmm. um, on, on pretty much all of his movies or like the, the last several. And he's always, you know, talking about like how great it is to work with like a, you know, a skilled editor that wasn't on set, uh, you know, that can just look at the footage just totally objectively and say like, this is the best, even though, you know, you might have been something didn't go quite right or like you were in a mood or something, you know, and on set you were like, no, this take is no good. And you just ignore it and move on. You get something else you're happy with. But then when the editor looks at it, they see it with like fresh eyes. And um, sometimes they'll say to you, actually, you know what? You should go back and look at like take nine. Cause yeah, there's a little camera, there's like a little camera thing and we can fix that, you know, but there's actually some really interesting stuff happening in there. And then he said, he'll go back and look at it after, you know, this guy suggested and be like, fuck, he's right. Like, <laughs> actually, <laughs> this is this is a really, like, interesting, you know, dynamic that's not present in any of the other takes. And it really works for the scene, you know. Yeah. So uh, the challenge with 1917, though, was he wasn't able to engage in that process because the way that they were stitching one shot together with the next, you know, they had to decide, like, this is the take we're going to use because this is what the final frames of the shot are going to look like. And right. we have to match the the opening frames of the next shot to look exactly the same, you know, otherwise it won't line up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was on set basically having to commit to like which take they were going to use because then they need to use that <laughs> as their criteria, you know, to start the next shot from and make sure that they lined up completely perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, he said it was it was one of those things where, you know, the he felt like. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, he felt yeah. like the, the master had kind of let the student go and he had to, like, go off on his <laughs> own. And now after he's had the benefit of, you know, experiencing working with this guy for so many years, he was like, had to kind of get into the, like, what would Skip think, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of mindset and, and, you know, approach that and bring in that extra, like, knowledge base instead of relying on having him there in the, you know, in the post process to you know, yeah, yeah. look at things for a second time. He really had to commit to everything, like, right there on the day. I forgot about um, that. I forgot about that in the, in yeah, the DGA podcast. Yeah, re- really interesting. You know, one of those kind of like creative challenges you might not initially really consider just thinking about, you know, the scope of like what you're putting together and the challenge of it. Um, you know, you're probably just thinking out more so like planning how you're going to stitch all the shots together and make it all look convincing, let alone right. then realizing like on the day you have to go like, oh, fuck, no, I have to know exactly which take I'm using, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> For the next fucking shot. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, really interesting, you know, just a, a 
insight into the process and, and, you know, like how he overcame that and, you know, how past experiences, you know, really, really informed his decision-making there. And it, it worked out beautifully. I mean, I really thought the, the movie, um, all gels incredibly mm-hmm. well. And I mean, the camera work is just outrageous. Like <laughs> it's, it's stupid. It's, it's like, it's really yeah. fucking dumb how good every single moment of that movie <laughs> is like from a visual standpoint, it, it just, it's mind blowing. Like the way that he moves from, you know, really from different, like, uh, uh, different environments and like, you know, indoors where it's just candlelight versus outside full daylight and things like that, yeah. you know, it's just on a technical level is really a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, just because of the ways cameras work and you have to basically tell them, like adjust them to the amount of light that the scene is. And if you're doing that in the middle of a shot, it's really obvious. So <laughs> right. the way that you've got to like, you know, find creative ways to uh, overcome that kind of hurdle and make the shot seamless, but still look like, you know, we're just moving from like outside to inside and, you know. Right. Uh, not seeing the camera being adjusted, you know, <laughs> to compensate. It's, uh, you know, even just little things like that. It's all just so impeccably well done. That uh, right. you know, it just it doesn't doesn't leave a trace of like you know what the effort that went into it. It all just appears so like natural, and um, you know the experiential kind of uh, crafting of the movie is so exceptionally well done. the The whole mm-hmm. one shot thing doesn't it never feels like a gimmick. It feels like a really necessary part of telling the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. And I I really dug that. And they, you know, they do some creative things with it. Um, There's, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, of course, but um, I I will say there is one one scene in particular uh, with a bunch of flares going over. I'm trying not to spoil it. I'll tell you what, for the next five minutes, uh, skip over this if you don't want to hear spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Fucking spoil it. It's been out. It's the Oscars are done. Yeah. So anyway, go for it. Yeah. So when he gets like, you know, gets like grazed by the bullet and gets knocked out or like gets hit in the helmet or whatever. And he, you know, he like passes out and it goes black and then we wake up and he's in that he's in that town. Yeah. Yeah. He's like in that church. He had that little shootout with the uh, guy holed up in the like sniper's nest. And um, yeah. And then when so then when he comes to and he goes outside and it's like pitch black outside and then all of a sudden these like, you know, signal like flares just start shooting overhead yeah. And you just see the light from the flares going across the rubble of like the churches and buildings and like the shadows just like extending as it like completes its arc overhead and yes. all this shit. Dude, it was like <laughs> that like that sequence, jaw that entire sequence dropping. It was yes. unbelievable. I mean, yeah. just so gorgeous and like such an incredible moment in the movie as well. Like really just poetically done. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I was really impressed with throughout the whole thing was like again with having this whole uh, you know, in a lot of ways, a restriction of having this one shot, you know, approach mm, to the film, mm-hmm. you know, it does restrict you from doing a lot of things and uh, still being able to pace out the movie in a way where you had a lot of like, you know, obviously all of the important plot elements get laid out for you, you know, and, and come right. to pass throughout the course of the film. But then also being able to have these like poetic moments of just like sort of beauty or profundity within the middle of this like nightmare scenario, mm-hmm, you know, that mm-hmm. they, they, they don't pull any punches, like showing you how gross and nasty this whole business yeah. is of war. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, there are some moments of like truly, you know, unique beauty that could only be found in that kind of hellscape. 
right. the movie does a good job of like teasing those moments out, you know, between Mendy's, you know, crafting of like scenarios and scenes and sort of like, you know, uh, uh, sim- symbolic moments for the characters within this narrative. Mm-hmm. And then Deacon's just mastery of like visual artistry <laughs> uh, in every fucking, especially light and the way that he moves light within scenes and everything is just one of the things mm-hmm. that I, I think is always so impressive with him. Um, you know, the, that scene in this movie with the flares and like Blade Runner, when they go to the, uh, you know, um, Jared Leto's company and they're walking oh, yeah. through the hallways and there's all those like lights moving across like the windows and like water yes. and everything like outside. It's just, he's such a fucking master at like using that stuff to create this like brilliant dynamic, like clean dynamicism within yeah. his like frame, you know, cause it's always like these super clean lines and stuff in that movie. And, and, you know, he manages to make even light moving match the like symmetry mm. of the set, you know, and it feels like a natural extension of, of just what you're looking at from a, you know, set decoration and like a production design standpoint. Yeah. And it's just beautiful to see that kind of like collaborative understanding, you know, of like the visual artistry of the film that not just, you know, the production designer and the cinematographer, like, yeah. Fucking fist bumping <laughs> each other. Like we just fucking killed this. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's cool as shit, man. And, uh, um, but yeah, so anyway, just, you know, it, and, and as I mentioned, you know, the pacing of this movie as well, like that's what was so cool about it with the Warner was like all the pacing had to be drawn out through like dialogue or mm-hmm. like business that needed to be carried out. Cause we're like always following them. They're all pretty much always moving. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it became like, you know, the length of the conversations they were having would draw the scenes out and they would like extend, you know, uh, how long the walking was, you know, based on, you know, to fit the, the dialogue really it wasn't they yeah. didn't they didn't like rush it to like try to get to the next beat as quickly as possible it was like no have the conversation you know like right or if you're reading a letter like l- read the whole letter you know like right. don't just pretend to read it like fucking read the thing like your character would and like let's <laughs> that's just part of the scene and we'll just you know so they planned out you know like all the how long the trenches were and like how long the you know other stretches of of environments that they needed to go through were just based around like really what the actors needed to be able to perform the scene. And Mm -hmm. uh, again, just such a cool approach and the way that it played out in terms of, you know, being able to pace the movie out between like really, really, you know, the action sequences are are pretty like heart pounding. You know, (laughs) there's a real visceral intensity to them because everything is so, um, uh, everything is so just like imminent and uh, uh, present, you know, in the moment. It just, it feels, yeah, very very uh, uh realistic you know and and it's really really engaging you just you really mm-hmm. do get that again experiential um uh that <laughs> that experiential you know <laughs> mastery of this film you know really really comes yeah. through in the, in those moments not only those moments but the way that they're paced out with the other moments and really mm-hmm. that's all just done through blocking you know like like when and how fast actors move through a scene, like it kind of dictates that whole thing and being able to, you know, really balance that out with like the needs of your movie, the needs of like your storytelling pace with like the needs of your actors and and the characters Mm -hmm. themselves to make them real and believable and everything that just, I mean, that really takes some fucking skill. Yeah. Um, I think that was my, uh, like, you know, like we'll watch movies or something and then just, uh, learn everything we can about them you know, from top to bottom. And I think that bit of information was most interesting to me was that, uh, was everything you just said, like, we're not, uh, this is this, the, 
the production design of our set will dictate how long it takes to actually have a particular kind of conversation and not the other way around. Um, yeah. And that's what I really, really, you know, liked about it. It's kind of like when, um, when we went to go see uncut gems and I was listening to a bunch of interviews with the Safdie brothers, um, since they like to shoot on location, mainly they did do the, um, uh, you know, Howard's jewelry store. Like yeah. they, there is a set of it, but they made it, they made it with the restrictions that they didn't have any moving walls. And so like they had to tell their cinematographer, like you have to shoot this, like this wall doesn't move. Like we're not doing this kind of thing. It's just, it's there. Yeah. So <laughs> this is what you need to work out in terms of what we need to work out in terms of a shot and everything. And I, I actually like that, you know, with being on a set, it's like, Oh damn, you know, like that, that's really cool that they, went that far to keep like the realism of them always shooting on set, like just uh, on location on a set. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, it's gotta be a, it's gotta be a funny one to breach with a cinematographer as uh, <laughs> experienced as Darius Kanji as well. That you're like, no, we're not. He's like, we're on a fucking set. Why don't you move the walls? And he's like, no, we're not going to move the walls. <laughs> we're man. not doing that. <laughs> like, it's like, but that's the point of having a set. You can move the fucking walls. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I get, I mean, you know, for the actors also, it's like, it, you know, it's going to feel more like a real place. Like when there's an entire wall moved out and there's like cameras and lights set up there, it does become, you know, it kind of breaks the illusion in a way. And, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, of course, like professional actors, they can work around that, you know, naturally. But, um, you know, with a lot of the, uh, the Safties like to work with a lot of like authentic, you know, people from the actual areas that they're depicting in their films and things right. like that. So a lot of, you know, uh, inexperienced or first time actors even, uh, mm. in their movies. And I'm sure that like making the set feel that much more realistic helps get them, That's you know, true. kind of into the scene more so than, you know, if they were just, if it was just Adam Sandler and like, you know, the, the cast of, uh, you know, clerks working in a store or something, I'm sure it would have been fine because they're all right. professional <laughs> actors, but uh, you know, and, and again, I'm sure it does just add to that, like, sort of hectic nature of it, too. Like, you're actually kind of all trapped in there together. <laughs> it gets <laughs> that's really cramped and tense, and you're just, like, you're all stepping on each other's feet and shit. Like, that's kind of, you know, uh, the mood that they needed to really <laughs> yeah, take their movie to the places it needed to go. Um, well, uh, anyway, 1917, uh, uh, fucking great film. Really, really impressed with it. Yeah, I can't wait to. Um, that's definitely one I'm gonna pick up for sure. Yeah, I I was looking at. They have a really nice looking steel book at Best Buy. <laughs> oh, do they? No, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, but okay, cool. I, I was just like, I don't know when I'm getting my next paycheck, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know if I need to be doing this right now. Like, yeah, you know, maybe uh, maybe I'll wait. You know, a couple months until things are hopefully a little more normalized, and and maybe it's a you know it's a little bit cheaper then too. So. That's true. That's but, true. Yeah. I just watched it. I got plenty of other stuff to watch, which I guess is what we're here to talk about today. But uh, yeah. But anyway, you uh, you told me you you watched some stuff this week that you had never seen before. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I watched. What uh, you out. I watched. Uh, well, I finished season one of Twin Peaks. Fuck yeah. Moment in history right here. That's I mean, I'm so happy. <laughs> Moment in history. <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it was really good. I'm getting into it. Uh, Fuck yeah, quite, quite a quite a bit. Um, I think my favorite character is uh, is Doctor Jacoby. Oh, nice. Um, that guy just he just I just love watching him. I love watching Russ Tamblin. Like yeah, I just kind of want to watch 
more shit with him. Like he's so good, and what they do with him in season three is like one of my favorite parts of season three. Oh, sweet. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's amazing. Because yeah, season three is the one that's twenty five years later and everything, and and yeah. where where he's at and what he's doing is like, it's incredible, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's really, something else. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> but. Uh, um, but yeah, no. So, uh, so, so, who do you think shot Coop? Uh, I don't know. You know, like I, I think my my mind goes to Laura's dad because, like, mm-hmm. he fucking Leland, snuffed yeah. out. Yeah, he, you know, Leland snuffed out the the guy that they have in custody for Laura's murder. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the hospital and stuff. Um, yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I as, as of right now, it's just some. You know, like towards the end, it it I it took a little uh whoa whoa here we go here we go oh. it took a little um um a little concentrating because there were just like so many like side stories going around yeah with you know like uh the kids trying to figure out the murder and setting up Jacoby and then you know stuff with uh, Leland going on um, I really do like. Um, Ray Wise's like performance as Leland, like his oh, yeah, his fucking man. emotional toll in that show. Like, it's I wild. I thought it I thought it was gonna be like the because I feel like they set it up as the mother will be like the hysterical one throughout the whole show, but mm-hmm. like she kind of evens out a little bit, and it's like he's the one that just goes like emotionally like a wall. And I kind of really I love the dancing thing. Like just uh-huh. every time he hears the music, it's like. Oh, it just hits me so hard. I'm like, fuck, dude. This is yeah, yeah. This hurts really bad. <laughs> it's a yeah. No, it's man. It's he really is incredible in that in that role. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Grace Sabrisky is the mom. Also, I think it's just okay. She's fantastic. Yeah, um, I love it. She's in a lot of David Lynch's stuff. I mean, she's yeah. She's been just one of those character actors that's been around. You know, she's mm-hmm. got to have like 200 credits or something like that. Oh but, God, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She is always so good though, but especially with Lynch, like Lynch just really, really gets everything out of her. And <laughs> it's, it's so good. Um, yeah. There's, there's some really interesting stuff with her character um, coming down the pipes, but uh, also her, her character in wild at heart also, I think is one of my favorite Lynch Zabriskie, uh, okay, collabs. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that one's fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, man, dude, I'm I'm really happy to hear you're digging it, and uh, yeah, excited to hear hear what you think as you get deeper in. Yeah, I got season two coming up next. I think I'll start season two on Monday. Just I try and get up when I get up early. I try to do like one or two episodes, maybe before twelve, and then like balance stuff out. You know, like yeah, all yeah. right, I'll do a couple episodes of this, do this, <laughs> and then you know, watch a three-hour epic or some shit, um, yeah. something like that. Uh, Love that. We should maybe I should just fucking jump in. Start <laughs> jump start in lining on up season my schedule. Two. <laughs> we can do like weekly, like midweek Twin Peaks check-ins. <laughs> mm. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Well, you want to get down to our lists that we got going on here? Yeah, I think we probably should do that. Uh, yeah. Get to the, the meat of this episode at some point. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, uh, so yeah, this week's episode, we're going to go through our picks for things that you can watch on Shudder, uh, the horror streaming app, and um, Criterion Channel. Yeah. Goddamn right. Uh, Dorian will probably be handling Criterion Channel more than me. <laughs> Oh, I'll handle it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I'm sure we'll both have uh, some 
some pretty good picks for Shutter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I was going to say, <laughs> it's funny, like, Shutter has Shutter has so much good stuff on there. Mm-hmm. They also have a lot of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is fine. That's yes. that's every, you know, they just they need a robust selection. So, yeah. you know, they they can't all be they can't all be prime, you know, prime cuts. <laughs> uh, but um I I will say and this is this is no disrespect to Shutter, but <laughs> most of the things that suck say Shutter original on them. <laughs> 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 it's you know, God bless them. They're trying. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll get there. You know, there's there's a couple that are that are all right. You yeah, know, that that show some some signs of life. Um, but uh, but yeah, a lot of them are are just a little, <sighs> little rough, a little lack, a little, little lackluster. Right. Yeah, right. they're just they're 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 kind of trying too hard to be something that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, is like I, the I sh- wish th- is the Shutter original like the equivalent of like that rack in the old Blockbuster video that like it's like those kind of it's almost it's like a little bit it's almost like the, the as- asylum movie. Oh god, yeah. yes, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah it's a little little you know Transmorphers uh, snakes <laughs> on a train uh, kind of vibe, but like not even but like not even that schlocky. Like the the asylum at least they knew what they were making. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you yeah. know, they they did not. They were under no illusions <laughs> that they were crafting anything of any quality whatsoever, and they, they knew, like, they were making them knowing full well that people were watching them just to see how terrible they could be. Yes, yes. You know, and and that was their appeal. That was you know their business model. So, <laughs> um, it's uh yeah, it's it's akin to that, except it doesn't have that you know. Uh, it doesn't have that level of self-awareness. Like a lot of these feel like, Oh man, this is, you know, this is my shot to make like a fun, cool genre film. And it's like, no, you're making like kind of a piece of trash. But if you just, <laughs> if you just leaned into how trashy it was, yeah, right. You might have <laughs> it would something. be a lot more fun to watch, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm watching this and I feel like you're actually, you know, think that I'm supposed to be scared by this <laughs> CGI bore or yeah. whatever, or feel threatened by it somehow, or think that this is cool. And it's like, no, it's not. But if you had just played into how chintzy it was, that might be a good time at least. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah. Or, you know, there's just too much of like a self-aware. Because that's, again, like a lot of people have pointed this out. Like the 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 charm of most like, you know, 80s or like cult movies from a different era um, is the fact that there was this kind of innocence to their creation. That like the people making them thought they were really like carving out a new path. Yeah. Or like really like making something special and you know things like that and you know so there wasn't this self awareness of like what they were doing they weren't like trying to make like a bad eighties movie right right you know exactly. they were trying to make what they thought was a really cool movie in the eighties <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's impossible to replicate because now there's this you know this huge baggage of like self referential and self awareness that comes with it where it's like now you try to make a movie in that vein and all you're doing is thinking about or referencing the movies of that time right you know you can't have you can't approach it with that sort of like uh, pure mindset that they had when they were making the movies in that time period mm-hmm. to them. They were just, they were just movies, you know? <laughs> so. Um, well, since we're, it seems like we're, uh, you want to start with shutter first? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do uh, it. I feel like we're on a, I feel like we're already getting started with it. Um, yeah, no, we pretty much are. So I, I've already talked some shit about them, so I guess it's time to get to yeah. <laughs> maybe, say some recommendations, <laughs> you know? Um, I think I'm just going to kick it off with uh, 
There are three really great John Carpenter movies on there. Uh, nice. The Fog. They're probably the same three at the top of my list. <laughs> They're at the top of my list, dude. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Fog, In the Mouth of Madness, and Escape from New York. Yep. I'll cross those off. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I will say that uh, in these... Uh, in these quarantine times, uh, I would suggest throwing on In the Mouth of Madness first because, mm. uh, you know, it is a story about Sam Neill uh, who just goes mad uh, investigating this uh, author, uh, Sutter Kane, mm-hmm. uh, and this book that's coming out called In the Mouth of Madness. And uh, I remember seeing it for the first time, I think, last year during Halloween and Man, it fucking every every Carpenter movie that I have never seen that I subsequently watch, I end up realizing like what I've been missing, mm-hmm. you know, because people are just so much like, oh, my God, Escape from New York and Halloween and just sort of like the top top three or whatever movies that everyone, yeah, you know, the thing. yeah, that the thing that everybody lauds uh, rightfully so. But yeah, I would say you know, in the mouth of madness and, Oh, you know what? I think Prince of darkness might still be on there. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't look it up or anything, but anyways, um, it was up there for a while and that's where I watched it. Prince of darkness was also really good. I really loved that movie as well. Um, Oh yeah. So yeah, those three or four movies. Um, yeah. And in the, in the mouth of madness is definitely one that like, doesn't, that's definitely like a, a hidden gem in, carpenter's oeuvre yes it's it's one that not a lot of people really know about Mm -mm. i'm still constantly surprised at how many people haven't seen this movie or don't really know how good it is yeah uh, it's it's really it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's great it's a fucking good movie um all right so my first aside from the carpenter ones uh i think i'm gonna go with movies from shutter that i would watch as part of the last drive-in with joe bob briggs Okay. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I was gonna say just yeah. Get on. Just watch any Joe Bob Briggs specials. Any of the Joe Bobs, just just throw them on. Just watch them. They're great. Um, but as I was making my list, I realized like these movies kind of my love for these movies are like helped by Joe Bob's like history uh, behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, during it. So uh, the first one is uh, Madman. Uh, oh yeah, which is uh, happened a uh, week four of the last drive-in it's directed by Joe Giannone. Uh, it's a 1982 movie. It is a Friday the 13th ripoff. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Un- unabashedly. So <laughs> unabashedly, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the plot to this is uh, the synopsis is a cult slasher where a maniacal killer named Madman Mars stalks camp kids. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I really like this movie. This movie stood out to me because I think all of the, the kills that uh, Madman does in the in the movie are all done like I feel like way too artistically and beautifully than they like really should be for this movie. Yeah, seriously moody. I I remember uh, being reminded of some of the murder sequences in uh, Sergio Martino's Torso. Ooh, yes. When I was watching Madman, especially there was one like in the like foggy like woods. Mm-hmm. That was happening, and yeah, but um, yeah, no, really, really, those were some standout moments. Like, really kind of, you're sitting there watching it, and you're like, okay, you know, this movie's kind of whatever, yeah. and then all of a sudden, the <laughs> sequence, and you're like, wait a second, why? I'm like super into this movie all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like the lead up to every kill is just so, it's really beautiful, actually. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so that was week uh, week four, Mad Men. Uh, week seven of the uh, of the last driving of the last driving. Yeah, Mad Men yeah. is uh, week four of the last driving. I guess should we quickly also for anyone who's unfamiliar to kind of explain who Joe Bob Briggs is? Yeah, and what what this show is, the last drive-in. If you want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I'm relatively new to Joe Bob, but uh, uh, he's a um, film historian and writer, and in um, he uh, came up with this persona called Joe Bob Briggs, and like in the early what '90s, he had a show called Monster Vision on like TBS or TNT, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's. I think he's been writing, you know, like film review as Joe Bob Briggs since probably like the eighties. Sometimes, yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, that's um, right. yeah, maybe even like the seventies. I uh, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but um, but yeah, he's had a few iterations of a TV show, um, <clears throat> uh, akin to what he's doing now on The Last Drive-In. Which, yeah, if you want to explain, right, right, and so. Um so yeah, uh, this the last drive-in is basically uh, another iteration of his original show called Monster Vision, where um, every week, every Friday, he would do a double feature of two uh, known or unknown horror or genre adjacent movies, and in between there would be commercial breaks. But the commercial breaks are him uh, giving you information about the movie, the directors, the stars, uh, its production uh woes or successes and um yeah you're basically it's almost kind of like a class but it's really really entertaining uh because you might think that like joe bob is joe bob briggs is kind of like a know-it-all from just like the outset if you haven't you know uh seen him or heard him before but um he's really fucking smart and really fucking knowledgeable in you know what you're watching and what he's presenting to you and uh it's definitely made me widen my my horror movie watching to, you know, uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, like more, more things that are like hard, hard to find. You know, I would, I would even credit watching, you know, the last drive and as getting me to watch like in the mouth of madness. Uh, yeah. because it's like, I've never, I never hear anybody talk about this John Carpenter movie at all. Like let's, yeah. let's watch it. And it ended up being probably at least one of the best, one of his best movies, you know? So, yeah. Um, my second Joe Bob movie is uh, Week Seven, as a movie called Contamination. Oh yeah, uh, direct- Luigi Cozy. Luigi Cozy. Uh, <laughs> the synopsis for this movie is a cargo ship drifts up on the Hudson River. Its crew are all dead, bodies mutilated, and turned inside out. But I by an unknown force. Um, yeah, this movie. I. Um, I really love this movie mainly because of like the, the Joe Bob is I feel like it's one of the best like Joe Bob informationals that he gave for this it's movie. It's a good one. Yeah. It's really fucking fantastic. And uh, <clears throat> I love it. It actually kind of gave me a new appreciation for uh, looking out for older movies that are clearly ripoffs of more successful <laughs> movies close to, <laughs> close to or let's say maybe in the same decade as whenever it came out. Because uh, yeah. this movie is an alien ripoff. It's a ripoff of Ridley Scott's Alien. They just had no I, budget to go into space, so it takes place in New York. Yeah. <laughs> and, and oh, and the uh, what? And the like Brazilian rainforest, yeah, right? Something, yeah, that's something dealing <laughs> quote with unquote <laughs> Brazilian rainforests. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, it's clearly, like you know, some like one of the producers' backyards or something. <laughs> <laughs> And like the uh, the people like bringing in these aliens are like part of the 
the uh, coffee bean business or something. Like, <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. how they're fucking <laughs> being like smuggled in and shit, you know? <laughs> oh, God. So ridiculous. And the humming eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this movie came out in 1980, and Alien came out in 79. Yeah, that, oh, that's how quick. And it's not like they had advanced copies no. of Alien. Like, it came out, they saw it, and they were like, let's do this. Let's get the movie together. <laughs> I will say, though, that the... Uh, yeah, so, like, the, the things that all these people start finding in the movie are all these eggs. And when the eggs start exploding, and, like, you even get, like, a little bit of the egg juice on you, like, you're just your chest fucking explodes. But mm-hmm. the way that they shoot... Yeah, does this sound familiar to anyone yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that, like, the way that they shoot everybody's chest exploding is just in, like, super slow-mo for no apparent reason other than to show off, but it just totally works for the fucking movie. And I feel it's, like I'm watching it for the first time every time it fucking happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I think it speaks to one of your thing. One of the things you were talking about with VFW is, like, they completely committed to to that to just doing every single one of like oh i got splattered with juice in slow motion like yeah all the way through <laughs> 100% of the time yes. yeah this is the way we're shooting it right <laughs> uh yeah. fucking great. and the chest explosions are great too because they're clearly like an air cannon yes <laughs> so it's like after the chest explodes because it's in slow mo you can still see some of the like fabric <laughs> like torn fabric like flapping around because air is continuing to blow yes. out and it's just like what is continuing to explode in his <laughs> chest right now? <laughs> but, you know, for uh, as a stylistic maneuver, it uh, works beautifully. Oh, it's great. It's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. All the um, another uh, a cool thing about uh, learning about this movie are just sort of like the uh, the Italian like influences, too. It's like a lot like there's Italian like directors directing like this movie. And um, that's another cool thing about some of the movies that Joe Bob has, like in the list of movies he talks about. They're not all like American based. Uh, there's some from like, you know, Japan or uh, New Zealand and yeah. stuff. And so you get to learn about that culture's relationship to this particular genre of movie, uh, mm-hmm. aside from just learning about the, you know, movie production, you know, itself and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Get edified. And then my last uh, drive-in movie is uh, Week 9, the last movie, uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Love that fucking movie. Yeah, that was yeah shockingly good. That was a fucking treat. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's all about... Um, it is a sequel to uh, the horror movie. Prom Night. It's a prom night, but it definitely stands on its own. Like, you don't need to watch the first one. It has nothing to do with the first one. At all. Yeah. I I think there's, like, one character or something that's like, hey, I'm the person from the first one, and then, like, dies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think they pretty much just used the title because they were like, hey, Prom Night was a successful (laughs) movie. (laughs) Um, But it's a... uh, The plot of it is the spirit of a sexually voracious teen possesses a high schooler mm-hmm. and uh i was actually um much like madman uh madman kind of shocked by the um the visuals in the movie yeah they some of the visuals in the movie are really powerful two that come to mind is like when the the chest opens that has like uh the uh sexually voracious teen spirit uh mm-hmm. the the picture, like the class picture in the in the uh, principal's office, like it cracks right over like the woman, the the kid who died, mm-hmm. um, like just perfectly. 
you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's a sequence with a uh, chalkboard. And yeah, one, that was... one of the characters getting sucked into a chalkboard. That's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, the locker smash also. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's from I that really movie. Like that. <laughs> that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> no, they're like really, really inventive special effects work. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I can't remember if there was actually some sort of connection to the pe- uh, some people who worked on Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I don't know either. Um, I can't but remember. But there were some there were some similar like effects going on there mm-hmm. or like similar approaches to some effects that were just yeah, just really super well done. I forgot um, what year did Dream Warriors come out? Do you know mm, do you remember? I, I want to say like 83. We can find out. Oh, my bad. 87. Oh, uh, Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, also came out in 87. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, they were they were on some shit in 87. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those are my three for the for my, my last drive-in picks. Um, nice. What do you... Uh, you want to throw a few in there for Shudder? I got I got a couple more, but we can switch yeah. go back and forth. Yeah, I had... Uh, I wanted to mention one Joe Bob Briggs episode in particular. Um, oh, yeah. The episode it. he did on Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Uh, it was oh, from okay. his, yeah, it was from his Dinners of Death special, which was a, th- a Thanksgiving marathon that he did. Okay, okay, but, yeah, I believe the I believe it was the first movie of Dinners of Death was the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre <laughs> nice. one, and. He was saying, he even says at the beginning of the episode, like, I think I know more about Texas Chainsaw Massacre than any other movie in existence. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Like, you, you kind of sit there and you're like, yeah, right. I mean, he knows tons. <laughs> you think he's just, like, making a joke or being modest or whatever, but, like, because he knows so much about, like, every movie that he talks about. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but then when watching this one, it was just like, holy shit, I think he's right. Like, he knows <laughs> way too much about this movie. <laughs> But it's all really fascinating stuff, and and he he just like reveres the movie so much mm-hmm. um, that there's a real like kind of genuine like passion and uh, uh, just like astonishment at at the movie still to this day that he he it's like he you can see like every time he watches it he's experiencing it the same way he did like the first time he saw it nice and uh, it's it's really really cool to hear him talk about it with such uh, enthusiasm because um, yeah he's got just a lot of really interesting stuff to say a lot of great insights into the movie a lot of great yeah just like you know, behind the scenes kind of, you know, gossip mm-hmm. and uh, shit like that just runs the gamut of like everything you'd want to hear, you know, about a film. So I highly recommend that one. It's a great, great episode. Nice. Um, but yeah, I'll throw a few on here. Um, so there's one movie I like, this was like the first movie I put down uh, for Shudder, just even before I like open Shudder to look around at like what might be on there that's more recently added that I, 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 wasn't aware of. Okay. Um, but it's this movie called November. Oh yeah. Um, it's an Estonian movie. Ooh. And, uh, the director's name who, which I'm probably butchering is Rainier Sarnet. Um, but yeah, never heard of this guy. Mm-hmm. No idea. I, I, uh, I know oscilloscope, um, uh, distributed this film in the U S and I remember seeing them post some stuff about it when they were, you know, it got a small like theatrical run at some art house theaters and shit. But I remember seeing them post a, a couple just like short clips from the movie that were so visually striking. Okay. 
that I was immediately just like, like, what is this? This is so just strange, but like beautiful and like amazing looking. And mm-hmm. I, I just, it's so mysterious. I have so many fucking questions about like, <laughs> what is going on in these like few second clips? And, um, man, it's, it's shocking. Uh, like how good <laughs> this movie is. I, I really, really was just blown it like front to back. I thought it was just outstanding. Uh huh. Um, you know, in, in every way. And it's, it's really like, it's rooted in like European folklore. Okay. Um, and, and I'm get from what I understand, uh, it's based on like a book or a story or something like that. So it's, it's part of like Estonian folklore Okay. that I think people in this country, like this is an adaptation of like one of those stories that like everybody knows, you know, Mm -hmm. but us being Americans, you know, most people are probably like, what is Estonian when I say that? (laughs) Uh, Estonia is a country. Um, But uh, uh, they, you know, they're, so yeah, we have no fucking clue what their, you know, common folklore is and mythologies and stuff like that. So, you know, so it feels very foreign and kind of like alien, you know, to me as a viewer. Um, But that's part of what, you know, it's it's power and it's beauty was. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this stuff is just such a unique and like creative and just like different approach to story like fairy tale kind of folklore storytelling okay um you know it's much more in line with like the original like Grimm's like an Aesop's fairy tales okay all right. like if you go back to the originals like pre-Disney and shit I mean those are some fucking dark ass stories oh yeah 100% um, they, you know they were really they were written to like frighten children basically like yeah. hey if you go out if you leave like our homestead or whatever like you will be murdered in horrible ways you're fucked you know <laughs> Yeah, seriously. So, you know, that's that's really what they were designed for. And this has much more of that kind of vibe to it. Okay. Um, and, you know, a bit of like a magical realism kind of feel in some ways where, you know, some very, very, yeah, otherworldly, magical, supernatural things are happening here. But it's all these like poor peasants, you know, that are, are sort of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh you know, it's, it's just sort of like part of daily life for them. You know, they're already, they're struggling just like trying to keep their farms afloat and stuff. But then it's like, ah, fuck, we pissed off this God. He's going to fuck all of our crops now. (laughs) We got, yeah, you know, shit, we got to figure out how to, you know, how to fix this. (laughs) Like, you know, we can trick him, you know, by doing this. And there's all this, like, there's so many moments in this movie where they're just like, oh, hey, everyone, yo, we can trick this thing if we just all do this. And you're like, what how does that <laughs> logic follow and then it like works yeah. <laughs> you're like okay yeah. i guess it's just something they knew to do um this is how you trick the devil in this you know culture nice but um but yeah really just just fascinating and like it's all black and white um and uh which again just sort of like adds to the otherworldliness of it okay it, it doesn't feel like it's quite of this place you know because of this this desaturated color palette and um, the way they play with lighting to like really blow things out into white or put things into like super deep shadows sometimes too, and really really hit the you know far ends of the that dynamic contrast. All right, all right. Um, and then I wanted to also highlight a few uh, a few giallo films that they've got up on Shutter. All right, they have a they have a nice little selection. Um, but as I've mentioned before on the show and talked about last week a little bit, Giallo is this, uh, Italian thriller subgenre from like the early 1970s mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, just real like kind of Baroque, like insane, insanely vividly colored and, uh, you know, like, like seventies Italian style mm-hmm. just infused into these like psychosexual kind of, you know, killer thrillers. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, it really, really fun to watch. Just like total, complete style over substance. Um, <laughs> you know, but but taken to such an extreme that it almost emerges as like its own art form in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least, you know, by, by some of the, the more skilled practitioners. But um, anyway, uh, the... The few uh, giallos that they have on there that I would recommend are well, they have Deep Red on there, which I mentioned last week. Uh, it's yes. also on Amazon Prime. That's just that's like a that's a top tier giallo film. If you want to know like what this whole genre is about, like turn that movie on. Right. Um, but uh, they also have um, a couple other Dario Argento films that. Um, are not necessarily giallo films. Okay. <laughs> As you just gave that illustrious yep. definition of what giallo is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Dario Argento is definitely, like, the guy. Um, you know, he he's the guy who really, like, mastered the giallo form okay. and, and codified it into what it became, you know, for, like, it only really existed for, like, six years, five or six years. Um. But anyway, I bring up Argento because he's really he's probably the one that most people have heard of. And, you know, his movies really are exemplars of the medium or of the genre. Mm -hmm. But uh, a couple of his later movies, um, Inferno from 1980 and Phenomena from 1985. OK, um, so so after the, you know, giallo boom of the early 70s. And these got into uh, Inferno definitely got into more like supernatural territory, which was okay. never really a um, part of the giallo genre. Um, giallo films always had an explanation. Okay. You know, it was always like there was always some sort of explanation for what happened. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, yeah, so the supernatural component was not, you know, is kind of what takes those movies outside of the genre proper. Mm hmm. Um, but it's Argento and he's still got the same kind of artistic flair that he always did. Okay. Um, so there's also a lot of similarities to, to, you know, the Giallo films that he was doing in, uh, both Inferno and Phenomena. So Inferno is a little bit more about, uh, Inferno is actually a spiritual sequel to Suspiria. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's about this. There's this like three mothers trilogy. Yeah. Um, about, uh, mother Suspirium, mother Tenebra and mother, um, Fuck, I don't remember the last one, but yeah. so he was going to do a movie for each one. So Suspiria was the first one. It was about you know these three mothers uh, that are like you know these grand witches that kind of like run, they run the supernatural shit all over the world. Okay, <laughs> but um, so yeah, Inferno uh, is another one of these. So more supernatural about you know this uh, witch cult and the devil and all this kind of fun stuff. So seeing him you know play around in that kind of uh, imagery and everything is a uh, is a really good time. Sorry, I was just going to look up real quick the official synopsis for it, but it's not coming up for some reason. Oh, take your time. Look for it. Yeah, sorry. Come on, IMDb. You can do better than this. So yeah, 1980. So an American college student in Rome and his sister in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where their resident addresses are the domain of two covens of witches. Mm. Um, so yeah, similar to Suspiria, a student, you know, in this uh, high class yeah, establishment, turns out to be run by witches. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, really cool movie. Uh, and then Phenomena uh, from nineteen eighty five is actually, uh, I think, Jennifer Connelly's first movie. Um, she's super young in it. Uh, she's like like fifteen or sixteen or something like that. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, that one, uh, Phenomena also is in its own way really fun. It's, it's also funny too because he, uh, Argento used a lot of, very famously used a lot of progressive rock music in his movies. Okay. Um, mainly by this band called Goblin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. creates this really, really cool kind of like, you know, odd time signatures and shit like that. <laughs> like weird, you know, off, off putting kind of like texture to, um, you know, the way that the films play out. But, uh, uh, in 85, he kind of traded in prog rock for like, I don't know, like, like hair metal glam rock shit. So it's, okay. there's like a, there's like Judas Priest songs in this movie and shit. <laughs> like, um, it's really funny. I don't particularly think it, it works very well, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's really fun. I mean, it's like ball. He just goes for it, man. All right. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, but it's about Jennifer Connelly, who is a young girl with an amazing ability to communicate with insects. Oh, uh, I remember is transferred this one. Okay. to an exclusive Swiss boarding school where her unusual uh, capability might help solve a string of murders. Um, yeah, really cool movie. It's it's definitely you know it's this isn't like my favorite Argento film, but it has maybe my favorite Argento ending. Okay. <laughs> There's a truly batshit insane ending to this movie. <laughs> and even if I just told you what it was, like, I don't think you would believe me. Um, well, don't tell but me, it's but I want to, I've won't, never seen I it, won't. so yeah. Needs to be seen to be believed, man. All right. Um, but yeah, as with every Argento film, it, it definitely has its standout moments of uh, just really, really like uh, shockingly unique and effective and powerful, like, you know, image making, okay. Uh, and shot making where he just really, really, you know, finds these moments like seemingly, even when he's, you know, kind of making his, what seems like lackluster work from him. There's these moments that'll just fucking like, like getting punched in the stomach, just like knock the breath right out of you. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, this one's definitely got, got its share of those. Nice. So, um, so yeah, and then a couple other Giallo films. Um, uh, there's a Mario Bava movie called Blood and Black Lace. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, Blood and Black Lace, which is excellent. Um, that is sort of the that's considered kind of like the prototype Giallo film. Um, it was yeah, it was made in 1963, so it was prior to uh, Argento making Bird with the Crystal Plumage, like 1970 which was sort of the official beginnings of Giallo proper. Yeah. Um, But this movie definitely lays down a lot of the groundwork for what Argento, you know, kind of moved forward with and and codified into this, this genre classification. Okay. Um, So it's, it's really cool from that regard, having this, you know, historical component to it, but it's also just a fucking cool ass movie. Right. Um, Mario Bava is this like, yeah, super famous Italian uh, horror director who was really prolific and, um, I mean, there's, you know, he's influenced every, like Martin Scorsese even talks about Mario Bob. Oh, nice. And how much they influenced him. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Bay of Blood and Black Sabbath, I think in particular, like two of his most famous ones. Um, and Blood of Black, Blood and Black Lace as well. Um, but uh, yeah, really, really cool movie. I think this movie really established the whole like art murder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, a thing that became a staple of the Giallo franchise. This these like super stylized, like gorgeously shot and it, it meticulously produced yeah. <laughs> uh, scenes of people just being fucking murdered, you know, but turning it into like high art in a way. And uh, so, yeah, so it's about this like fashion house and like one of the models gets murdered. And then the, the entire movie is basically just like 
it's these like six setups to like these murder scenes happening. Oh wow, okay. Um, and it just kind of goes through one by one. Like you know, <laughs> we get a little bit of exposition in between, but then it's just this like long, drawn out, really artistic uh, lead up to a kill. Yeah, you know, nice. And uh, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, visually, really, really stunning. And again, like you know, just really ahead of its time in terms of uh, when it was produced. So, um, yeah, last couple, though, uh, the Giallo tip, uh, All the Colors of the Dark by Sergio Martino. Mm. Uh, mentioned him last week. Again, I wish Torso was on there. That's really his, yeah. his masterpiece. But uh, but All the Colors of the Dark, is it's like a it's like a psychedelic Giallo. Mm. It's, it's right. like when, you know, the <laughs> like acid wave of like the late 60s and 70s, I don't know, kind of hit Italy or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's uh, but yeah, it's got uh, Edwige Fenech, uh, Edwige uh, Fenech, who is this French actress that was in most of Sergio Martino's movies and a lot of other Giallo films, mm-hmm. um, and is a uh, actually a really good actress. Very beautiful, has like a really really unique, interesting look to her. Like okay. her face is one of those faces I just like can't take my eyes off of. All right, but not because like I'm lusting over her, but just it's just like man, you just. There's something so interesting about the way you look. Mm-hmm. It's just very different, you know. And uh, yeah, it's it's really captivating. And then you know, it doesn't hurt that she's you know always like naked in at least five scenes in these movies. <laughs> um, it's you know, it's part of the exploitation genre. Yeah, so that's, that's true. the way it goes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that one's really good. And uh, "Don't Torture a Duckling" by Lucio Fulci oh, is okay. on here, uh, which I love this movie. All right, um, I, I was really, really impressed with it. This is definitely one of my favorite, like non Argento Giallo films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it definitely deals with uh, superstition in a great way. It's interesting because it it sort of like fakes you out in the way that it plays with the supernatural. Okay, um, it's like you know some uh, like string of children are being murdered in this like small town in a more rural part of Italy, mm-hmm. and um, you know there's this local older woman who's sort of a recluse who you know is just sort of misunderstood by everyone there and they so they all just think she's like this crazy old bat and you know there's a rumor that she's like a witch you know and all this Uh, stuff so starts this like witch hunt you know for her basically everyone thinks that she's the one but it plays into uh you know the sort of like rural superstitions and insular nature of like this town and then versus like this big city that's nearby that's more like a vacation town with lots of tourists coming through and stuff Mm. And, um, you know, the way that, you know, that, that sort of modernity is, is encroaching into these rural towns and starting to like push some of their own like fears and, uh, paranoias onto those towns and okay. like pressure them in certain ways. And it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, the, the way that it ends up playing with the sort of like spirituality and faith-based superstitions uh, of the townsfolk and what really ends up being the case here and everything is just really pretty hard hitting, and nice. um, and also has one of my most like favoritely cheesy endings of all time. <laughs> yeah, there's a man. It's it's incredible. It's an awesome scene, but there's this like this special effect that they do that just does not work. <laughs> and and they just but it, you know it's what they got. Did they commit <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you got it you know that's what we got you got to put it in there yeah. we can't not have it in the movie so <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> oh my god, that's great. It's uh. It's pretty incredible. Um, My next ones are some um, horror documentaries. Yeah. That basically sort of, you know, influence some other choices that I I won't go too much into, but I'll just like list them, you know, as I kind of go along because they're just part of it. Um, Sure. 
one that I randomly fell into was uh, King Cohen about Larry Cohen. Oh yeah, uh, oh, great one. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, to be truthfully honest, I, I didn't know that I knew this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know from like <laughs> movies I had seen or, you know, um, in the past or whatever? But uh, King Cohen is a really fucking great documentary about the writer director Larry Cohen. And um, a lot of movies that I've watched on uh, Shutter or like um, I know Dorian last week when you were going through Amazon Prime, you mentioned uh, Cue the Winged Serpent. Yeah. Um, is Larry Cohen jam. I would say if you've never watched anything horror or have never heard of Shudder and you're listening to us for the first time, Larry Cohen wrote the movie, um, what is it, Phone Booth with uh, Colin Farrell? Yeah. Dude, when that came up in the documentary, I was like, what the fuck? I remember going to see this movie Uh and it being like, I really dug it, but I did not know that Larry Cohen fucking wrote that movie. Yeah, he had a crazy career of like, you know, making these like totally guerrilla style, like independent, low budget films just like by sheer force of will and like creativity. <laughs> yeah. But like meanwhile, he was getting paid like a million bucks to write like big blockbuster screenplays for Hollywood. Yeah. You know, as well. Yeah. It was insane. It's really, really crazy career trajectory. Um, so a lot of the movies that obviously they go through his whole filmography, um, there are there are a couple that are on Shutter. Um God told me to uh, cue the winged serpent. Right, yeah. You know, um, I've I've now watched all of these movies, at least that are on there, and uh, yeah. they're all really is great. The, is the stuff on there? No, the stuff is not on there. Oh, you know what? I don't know if it's still part of his. Um, because I know Joe Bob did it, but I don't think it's yeah. On Joe there. Bob did an episode of the stuff, but they might have taken it. That happens sometimes. Yeah. They lose the rights to a movie and they take it down. But yeah, the stuff is pretty amazing. It was really good. <laughs> Chocolate chip Charlie, dude. <laughs> Yeah, love that character. <laughs> um, all right, my second documentary is uh, Horror Noir. Yeah, which is nice. I think I would say like Shutter's like biggest sort of like documentary to date. Um, mm-hmm. It was out there a lot in like the mainstream, um, and it was all about um, like the the history of you know black horror in horror. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was a really good doc. A lot of movies uh, there that I watched or that I heard about, I've I've watched, and some that I still have on my list. Um, one in particular I had as a, a mention here is the movie Ganja and Hess, which is still on Shudder. Um, yeah. Just a really fucking, really, really interesting movie that involves um, not a vampire, but this guy's need for blood. And it's a complete like art house movie. Uh, I feel like um, when I watched this movie, I've, I kind of felt like maybe Kanye West had watched it at some point because there is a like a lot of influence that's another interesting thing about watching like these old movies whether they be like giallos or something like ganja and hess is like you start uh or like i i mentioned to you uh off mic you know uh a couple weeks ago that i had watched um king of new york yeah you know it's just really interesting to watch these old movies and just see the sort of cultural influence that you didn't know was there until you've watched something like this um, and so, um, yeah, Ganja and Hess is really good. And then, um, the, Le- the Leviathan, uh, documentary about the Hellraiser, Hellraiser one, two, and I think three, um, it's a, oh, Hel- I haven't, wa- I haven't watched that. Yeah. It's really good. I-, I liked it. Uh, I think I had maybe watched a little bit of it before I actually saw Hellraiser, but it didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. It didn't hurt me watching 
the movie for the first time at all. So, yeah. Mm. Nice. I mean, even I would, I would like to just even watch, you know, the the part of the documentary about Hellraiser three. I haven't even just got to, to Hellraiser like, three yet. I watched one and two. Dude, like, just the like, what fucking happened there, <laughs> man? Like, dude, that is a shit show. <laughs> Holy fuck! Like, it's just. It's it's a it's amazing the level of misunderstanding that the filmmakers have about the characters, <laughs> like of of like Pinhead yeah. and the Cenobites, you know, and everything. They do clearly do not understand like what makes them scary or powerful or in, interesting in any way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, just like blowing up cars with their mind. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Um, that's hilarious but yeah it's a uh, it's amazing i've always told people if you if you want to master if you want to see a master class in how to completely ruin a solid franchise hellraiser 3 hell on earth man like oh my it just is what the fuck went (laughs) wrong here so good the last movie i'll mention for shutter will be this movie called one cut one cut of the dead Mm-hmm. It's a movie out of Japan. Uh, the director is Shinichiro Udea. Uh, I'm probably butchering that, but uh, that's just me doing phonetically. And uh, yeah. the plot of this movie is while shooting a low-budget zombie film in an abandoned warehouse, the crew, the film crew, find themselves caught between actual zombies and an obs- and an obsessive filmmaker who won't stop filming. Uh that is like, I, I want to say that is the first like thirty minutes of the movie. I've heard there's a big there, turn. There's a that happens, yeah, very big turn in this movie that makes the rest of the movie mm-hmm. in like a really, 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 really great way. Um, I don't want to ruin it because I feel like you should experience it. It wasn't yeah, ruined. I saw it. Yeah, it wasn't ruined for me, but I'm glad that I didn't have it ruined because watching it, I just like. I had like all these very positive emotions come up when I realized, oh, this is this is just what it is. This is this is kind of really, really, really awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now I haven't watched it either yet, so I, I don't want it spoiled. I want to I want to check it out at some point because I keep hearing about it and it's cool. Like it's a really interesting, um, you know, indie like low budget indie success story out of Japan, which you know doesn't yes. happen a lot there. It's uh yeah, but I mean this movie was made for like reportedly as low as like twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. has just completely made its way across the world by like word of mouth and like social marketing, social media marketing, and um you know just being smart about the way that they like positioned it in front of people and marketed it and everything. And uh, yeah, really cool. I love love you know hearing those kinds of stories and supporting those types of filmmakers. Um, obviously, feel a little bit of a kinship with them. So I I've and I hope you you know I hope you do when you watch this movie because that's exactly I felt more of a kinship you know with with them. Uh, yeah. When it uh, when I when I saw it and stuff. So um, yeah, it's a really nice. it's a really great movie. Uh, very uh, positive comedy horror that I I really enjoyed. By the end of cool. it, cool. Yeah, hell yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, I've got, oh my God, I could do like another hour on, you know, different shutter stuff, but for the most part, that's, (laughs) that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, with my list. Cool. Yeah. Um, I got a few that I think I'll just, I'll just kind of push out there real quick. Cool. Go for it. 
Um, so they have the uh, entire Pusher series by Nicholas Winding Refn. I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, from 1996, 2004, and 2005, uh, Pusher 1, 2, and 3. Okay. Um, they are excellent, excellent movies. Uh, really, really cool crime drama, you know, type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, uh, like, what is it, Denmark? Um, uh, yeah, he's Danish. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, cool, really cool crime dramas and, uh, really young, early Mads Mikkelsen performances as well. Okay. Um, and really unique approach to the way that it sets up this, it's, it's sort of like crime world, um, and like underworld that exists, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the, the narrative of these films. Um, cause okay. all three movies, you know, they're sequels. So they obviously kind of take place within the same universe. Okay. Um, but each one has a different lead character. It's and it's not Mads. No, he's a he's a side character in the first one, and then he's the lead in the second one, and mm. then he's like barely in the third one. Okay. Okay. Um, but so yeah, you you know the uh, the guy who's the lead in the third one you meet in in both parts one and part two. But like so, w- how it uses each of these characters to kind of explore a different facet or like a different. Um, you know, uh, uh, like character psychology for like why they're part of this criminal organization and like what it's kind of the impact it's had on them and, and what they're trying to get out of life and everything mm-hmm. um, is just so fucking cool. It, it like really, it's such a smart way of like creating this kind of like intertwined, uh, you know, network of criminal, you know, activity that yeah. like, you know, care that really kind of carries the through line of the three films, but then seeing, yeah, the the kind of impact that it has had and and continues to have on like each of these different characters based on their unique backgrounds and motivations mm-hmm. as people. Um is just it's really cool. I've never seen someone deconstruct a uh, you know, sort of criminal underworld like that uh surgically. Um and you know across three films in this sort of like novel way as well of like taking a different perspective for each one. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, really, really uh, excellent series of movies. Um, and uh, yeah, highly recommend those. Definitely, you know, the first one came out in '96. It definitely got some like you know Tarantino kind of comparisons. Okay, okay. Just in terms of like you know the gritty crime drama and like we'll spend these long moments in these like really tense you know kind of yeah. scenarios and shit like that. Um, so. You know, yeah, in in a superficial way, sure, uh-huh. but you know, it's it's definitely they're also like you can see the beginnings of what we now know as like a Nicholas Winding Refn style. Okay, okay, um, you know, present in these films and and you know, just some really excellent filmmaking, just great acting, you know, really smart decision making, um, some really really excellent dialogue and just like scenarios and shit. So nice, it's, uh, yeah, they're really really cool movies, man. Um, they have been added to the, my list. Hell yeah. I'm like on shutter uh, as you're listening, listing stuff yeah. off. So it's like, if it doesn't look like I'm paying attention to you, I'm just like, got to search up pusher and add them all right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's some really cool, uh, collections of short films actually, uh, huh. by these gentlemen named the Quay brothers. Uh, that's Q U A Y. Um, Stephen Quay, Timothy Quay. Uh, most, if anybody's heard of them, it's probably from one of two sources. First off, Christopher Nolan did a big restoration of a bunch of their work a few years ago and even you... produced like a five minute short. Yes. Um, you just in told the style. Me, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. They did this really, really surreal, dark, like stop motion animation stuff. Okay. Um, 
you know, very like Tim Burton, definitely sort of inspired by these guys for sure. Okay. Um, oh, and then so, so yeah, so they probably, anyone's probably either heard of them because of, yeah, this Nolan like retrospective that happened a few years ago and his involvement crafting a new short in their style um, or a bunch of the old music videos by Tool oh. uh, from like the album uh, Undertow. Uh, some of those were like stop motion and those were very much in the Quay brothers style. And I okay. know that those, those videos were really popular, you know, the heyday of MTV and shit and yeah. know, got a lot of playtime, but, uh, you know, definitely that definitely drew a bunch of attention back to the Quay brothers, you know, because it was so clearly like, you know, working off of their style mm-hmm. and everything. So. But anyway, yeah, really, really cool stuff. I was happy to see those up there. Uh, you know, again, they're shorts, so you can check them out, watch a couple. If you're not into it, you know, fucking move on. But uh, they're definitely, they're really interesting. Just really, really, you know, heavily symbolic and surrealist and, uh, you know, just really fascinating kind of techniques and uh, in, insanely creative, you know, uses of these types of <laughs> uh, stop motion techniques to, to create like some really, really impressive like visuals and visual effects, you know. Nice. So, yeah, really cool stuff. I was happy they had those up there. Um, there is uh, <clears throat> just a couple more. Um, okay. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night yes. is available on Shutter. Everybody should watch that. The Anna Lily Amirpour. Uh, there is a Joe Bob episode about uh, that he did about this, mm-hmm. um, which is a good one. But this is one of those movies that I feel like, because it's kind of it's got like a little bit of a meandering vibe to it, but it also like kind of pulls out this like really long tension that you don't even realize is there until it's sort of like starting to build to a head and things like that. But I feel like this is a movie that's probably best. If you've never seen it before, I think is best watched just straight through. Okay. Um, without having, you know, Joe Bob coming in and interjecting stuff about the movie. Cause it's just, it's sort of important to like the way that it, it, it works its hypnosis on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's such a, such a great movie though. Um, there's this really cool movie called Deadbeat at Dawn, uh, that I had never seen before. It's this, you know, super low budget, like, you know, again, done with like, you know, a a bucket of nails, a hammer, some (laughs) spit and like mud. Okay. (laughs) Um, just by the skin of their teeth and like Detroit as things were just like horribly deteriorating there. Um, so that you could just do like, or no, it was like, it was like Cincinnati or something like that that i don't remember it was some town you know city that was just like in shambles in the 80s and you Mm -hmm. could clearly just get away with anything but you know it's this really like hard-nosed uh uh movie about this guy who's a gang member but then he you know he tries to get out of the gang life and then a rival after he gets out of it but then like a rival gang like brutally murders his girlfriend Uh uh-huh and so he goes out for, you know, he wants to, like, get back into his old gang in order to get revenge. But, like, his, you know, his old gang now has this sort of, like, tenuous truce with the gang that murdered his girlfriend. Mm. So they don't want him, like, going after them and stuff. But then, you know, they they kind of get involved in some shit and he starts to concoct a way of, like, getting his revenge. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a, it's, it, it, you know, in the same spirit of movies like year of the dragon and uh you know other stuff that we talked about from you know like the 70s 80s when movies were just like fucking hard man i mean they really like did not pull any punches all right um and they would just go there like this you know this movie's got a lot of that quality to it um and then you know for the first like 45 minutes or so like yeah you know it's it's interesting and there's some 
certain moments that are where you're like, wow, that's just like a way better shot than I would have expected from a movie like this, you know? Okay. <laughs> um, and then it, like when it gets into its back half though, it really kicks into overdrive and you're just like, uh, Jeremy, Hannah and I think just like turned it on one night when we were hanging out. Yeah. And all of a sudden we all just got like quiet and just had like our <laughs> jaws on the, we're like, are they really fucking doing this right now? Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, dude, this is insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was something else. Like we all walked away like, dude, this is like a hidden gem. People need to know about this yeah. fucking thing. Um, so really it was an arrow release, uh, oh, okay. on, on Blu-ray. So there's a really great, you know, transfer out there that they've done of it. And then, yeah, that's what's streaming on shutter. And nice. uh, so yeah, it looks great. Sounds great. Especially given, you know, the, uh, ramshackle means with which it was produced. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was that was a real a real treat to find. Uh, crazy ass Japanese movie called Tetsuo the Iron Man. Okay. Uh, by Shinya Sukamoto from 1989. This is this is just like pure insanity. When you think of just like you know stereotypical like Japanese seizure inducing mind bending <laughs> shit just being flung at you uh-huh. like stimulus on fucking you know hyperdrive just being shot into your brainstem. Um, this is, this is one of those. Okay. Uh, but it is insanely cool. It's really like cyberpunky and yeah, like done on a dime. Nice. Um, but just wildly creative. Like this guy does not have any rules, you know, he will just fucking do anything and everything. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's like an hour long, but it's like, I don't, you need to like take a nap after you watch it or something. Cause it's just, it goes so fucking hard for the whole hour. Um, with just like constant insane shit just flying at you. Um, but you know, it's all, it's all couched in, you know, what I think is a really, really competent kind of like open-ended metaphor. Okay. Um, you know, in a way that like, it's one of those movies that I've watched it several times. Cause you know, the techniques that he comes up with just to do the crazy shit he's trying to do are like super inventive. Yeah. So many things in here that you've just never seen anything like it before or since. Um, and probably for good reason, but, (laughs) but it works perfectly here. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of like hyperkinetic, you know, sensory overdrive that's there. You just also never seen it something that like really just kind of is, is this nonstop and aggressive with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but again, it's all couched in something that I, I think like really speaks to, uh, how knowledgeable and skilled of a filmmaker is actually at work here. You mm-hmm. know, this isn't just like a random burst of insanity. It's that, but like filtered through like a, a, a focal point, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, one that, you know, it's one of those movies that I've watched several times over the years. And every time I kind of, I kind of get something different out of it, you know, and not nice. in a way that it's like, Oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, Oh no, I think these are like just as, just as intentional and just as like well thought through and worked out. And it just becomes more impressive. The fact that it's like that multifaceted of a, you know, um, symbolic piece of film. Nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, really, really. And also just, I don't know if you're fucking just took some drugs and you want some crazy shit to watch. <laughs> like it's perfect for that too. Like it really, Jesus Christ, man, that's, it might be too much. Um, but yeah, so really, really cool movie. I was happy to see that on there. And then last but not least, uh, got to give a shout out. Tammy and the T-Rex is available to watch oh, on Shutter. God, yes. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not <laughs> seen this fucking cinematic masterpiece, I mean, just oh do God. the fucking Shutter's doing a 30 day free trial right now. Um, yes. I think the code is I think the code is shut in. Yeah, I have it right um, here on their Twitter. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, but yeah, 30 day free trial. There is, I mean, even if you just do this only to watch Tammy and the T-Rex, it'll have been worth it. I promise yes. you. This movie is just, it, it is pure, hardline, uncut entertainment <laughs> for just 90 minutes straight. There is not a moment of this movie that is not going to put a smile on your face. Nope. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm not even slightly worried about overselling it. <laughs> it's just, you, nothing can prepare you for what this movie is. <laughs> so I know we weren't. So yeah. Well, I definitely was not. I, I, that was one of the, that's one of the, still one of the best nights I've ever had in a movie theater. Oh, hands down. Uh, just an entire, yeah. I, I guess a, a tiny bit of background here. This movie was made in like 93, 94. Um, and it was shot as like an R rated movie <laughs> and, but it's this weird, like high school, you know, just eighties kind of like teen sex comedy, but then just has these moments of like, okay, we're ripping this guy's head off now. <laughs> um, you know, just really out of nowhere. And so they, you know, there was some shit with the studio. They decided they didn't want it to be an R rated thing. It worked better. as like a PG 13. So it was only ever existed as a PG 13 movie. Um, you know, in the United States, but it was like released in like the Philippines or something like that. And in its original R rated form. Oh, crazy. And yeah. And, uh, so just like last year, somehow, you know, like vinegar syndrome got their hands on the original negative for the R rated cut of this movie and did a full restoration of it Ugh. and put it out a 4k Blu-ray and did a small theatrical run. But like so nobody had ever seen the R rated cut of this movie, basically mm -hmm. like in, you know, pretty much in the world, like there were maybe like a couple of Philippine bootlegs floating around, yeah. you know, but, um, uh, but yeah, so it was this, you know, everyone kind of knew it was this, it had this insane pedigree and shit. And the fact that it was this first ever screening of this R rated gore cut of this, you know, teen sex comedy with super young Paul Walker and Denise Richards in it. <laughs> Um, you know, just piqued everyone in the genre world's interest quite a bit. Yeah. And so we saw the world premiere at uh, at Music Box as part of Cinepocalypse. I think we were, might have been like and the second audience to see it because it might have been like yeah. a, a film festival before us. That's right. Yeah, I don't think it was a world premiere, but it was some sort of still, yeah, like one of the very first screenings ever. Yes. Um, of this, this R rated cut of it and this restoration of it. And like this, the whole theater, it was like 700 people and nobody was prepared for what we were about to witness. I mean, that whole place was just fucking rolling on the floor. It was electric, laughing man. For just electric. Nine, oh, it was, it was crazy. Like we all just, you just couldn't believe everywhere <laughs> you looked, people were just like, is this fucking <laughs> happening right now? Oh my God. Like, you know, oh, getting to see, getting to basically see like a brand new, early 90s movie in 2019 yeah is such a fucking thrill <laughs> you know? like, oh. again you know it, it wasn't a movie trying to be a uh. 90s movie oh uh oh so anyway. yes tammy and the t-rex so yeah it was amazing and yeah we got to see like a new 90s movie in 2019 which is just incredible <laughs> like a real legit 90s movie not a movie trying to be a 90s movie. <laughs> right exactly was, yeah, it was fucking awesome. There's nothing like it. So, all right, are, yeah. are you uh, are you ready to give us a education in the Criterion Channel? Oh man, I, I think I am. I think I might want to take a break for a cigarette first, though. Want to take a break? 
Yeah, if I, I would like to have a smoke. Yeah. Do you want to stop recording or you just want to keep recording? Yeah, let's stop. Let's stop, uh, right? My, actually, my battery's getting a little low on my Zoom. Okay. I have a, I have a, so let's stop it because I have a power supply. I can just plug it into the wall. So okay. I'll just do that. All right. Which I should have just done it in the first place. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop this then.